0: Welcome, everyone, to the Genetics Podcast. I'm really excited to be here today with Dr. Maria Katsu Dunford. Maria is the CEO and co founder of LifeBit, which is a company based in the UK that provides software for analyzing genomic data in the cloud. The users of the Lifebit platform are, for the most part, genomic scientists at genetics companies, biobanks, as well as pharmaceutical companies. Um, as a quick aside, we have actually used Lifebit here at Sino Genetics for about a year and a half, so I think it's needless to say that we're big fans of Maria and her team's work. Um, so just as a quick backdrop to what we're hoping to cover today, as you all probably know, the amount of genetic data that's being generated through research, through medical care, the healthcare system, and at-home testing services Is simply enormous. Um, So, for example, a whole genome sequence generates about 100 gigabytes of data. So, if you were to take a project like the UK Biobank that's in the process of whole genome sequencing about 500,000 people, this translates to 50 million gigabytes of data or about 50 petabytes. Um, So, the question really that we're going to revolve around today with Maria is how do we actually make sense of this huge amount of data? why it's important to use the, the cloud, in quotes, to analyze data um, from an efficiency, cost-saving, security, speed perspective, and then hopefully to pick Maria's brain on what some of the most exciting new initiatives in genomics are out there today. Um, so with that slightly long intro, uh, I'd just like to say thanks so much for taking the time to join today, Maria.
1: Thank you, Patrick, for having me. It's really great to be here.
0: Great. So, just to kick off, I wonder if you could give us a quick overview of what Lifebit is, how you got started, and and what people use the platform for today.
1: Yes, absolutely. So, Lifebit is a biotech company, and what uh, how it got started basically was by my founder, Pablo, and myself. You know, from the typical story, being researchers ourselves, having as a main job to analyze and make sense of as you said, enormous amounts of genomic data. And at that point, which was almost now eight years ago, most of our time, 80% of our time was spent on the computational and data hassles around that rather than the biology and the results and what the insights, if you like, around the data. So we, with microfounder we ha- worked a lot uh, on building solutions that, will make it easy to analyze this data and make sense and not have people spend most of their productive time, you know, dealing with things that are completely unproductive, like computational and data hazards, as I said before. And as I said, we're involved in developing many different open source technologies, widely used right now. And as the time was passing, we realized that our problem was not a niche problem, was becoming a problem of the whole world. And that was the point where we decided to jump at Lifebit because we realized that all of the work that we were doing from a research perspective, and by building all of the open source that we did, was just a tiny bit of all of the technology required to actually, you know, like make this problem, um solve this problem once and for all. So we started Lifebit and uh, the mission of Lifebit was, is uh from a solution perspective, a dual mission, one, to free the world from the computational and data hassles of making sense of this data, and two, to actually then build the cognitive technology using AI, machine learning, smart algorithms to be able to reason for this data, uh, about this data like humans would, right? So in its final form, our technology uh, we'll be able just by being exposed to data to actually, uh, generate, uh, actionable insights and, and reason about it like humans would, right? We don't know intervention ideally from humans. And that's what we're trying to, to do right now.
0: Great. That's wonderful. So if we could take maybe one example, I, I, I like the dual mission. So the first is to free, people from these data hassles. And then the second is I, I suppose to free them from the analysis hassles and allow the analysis or, or at least most of it um, to happen by itself. I wonder if we could go through an example, you know, whether it's a genome-wide association study or polygenic risk score or, or something else that you all work on regularly and, and talk about what are those data hassles um, and maybe some of the machine learning approaches you're taking to help analysis as well.
1: I like to always uh, see the process of making sense of genomic data as a three-stage 3, three a stage process. The first stage is the biochemical, the liquid process, right? We need to extract, you know, samples, and then we need to be able to process the samples, throw them into big sequencing machines or small sequencing machines since, you know, that's being more and more automated. And then out of that, um, that first process stops when we are getting, you know, all of these raw data, you know, the, the sequence data, as we call it, which is like small fragments of read of DNA that really, you know, doesn't, uh, that are, have been multiplied and copied numerous times, right? And doesn't really make sense to anyone out there, right? The second stage and second part of this process is actually what we call the downstream analysis, where your whole mission is to convert now this raw data that has just come out of the machines into a format that would make sense. And what would be such a format? If I give you, you know, the the reads, the, the raw reads as they are coming out of the machines, there is no human being on this planet that can make any sense out of that, right? Uh, but if I give you, you know, a list of like mutations that you have on your genome, even my grandmother can understand that. My grandmother most probably cannot do anything with that information because she wouldn't know where to even start, right? But she could at least, you know, with minimal explanation, understand that, you know, like what you are showing to her, you know, is, you know, some coordinates of genes and mutations. And, you know, in our DNA, we have four letters and so on and so forth, right? And that's readable. That's readable by humans, right? So the downstream analysis you know, as, as a general process has many different parts and many different types of analysis that we could run, but the, the overall mission is get this raw data to an informative state, right? And as I said, that informative state being a list of mutation, maybe, you know, your, your ancestry or, uh, you know, like annotations around genes or, and so on and so forth. So there is a lot of different things that we are doing at that, at that level, right? And of course, you know, if I am to give some examples of what are the most standards when we think in terms of human genetics, of course, the most standards are what we call, you know, variant calling. So understanding, you know, calling the variants because between all humans, you know, like uh, the difference in DNA are in the level of 0.001%, right? So calling that that, you know, small percentage of differences between different individuals and getting this, you know, put it roughly, the list of different mutations or the different variants, as we call it. I think that is the most typical analysis that we run uh, in in that process. Sorry, that's, that's, I was calling downstream, but that's actually the upstream analysis. And then the downstream analysis is when you have that and now information and now you are further analyzing it, right? And in downstream analysis is, you have a lot of things happening in the downstream analysis from analysis that, try to understand which of these, for example, variants and mutations are linked to cancer, you know, different annotations of genes to see what other, you know, diseases uh, you might be having if we're talking about diseases. If we're talking about biomarker discovery, we're having a lot of different things where we are, you know, trying to understand, you know, like maybe what mutations can be related to, to different drugs. Going beyond that, when downstream analysis starts becoming more useful and more actionable is when you are doing what we call integrated analysis, right? And integrated analysis means that you are now integrating genomic data with different clinical phenotypic data. And it's normally at that point where also your, your computational methods need to start becoming more sophisticated, right? And that is normally the point where we include AI and machine learning. And at Lifebit, one of these applications is our AI engine, which, one of the one of the algorithms that the machine learning algorithms that the AI engine has is basically able has learned how uh, drug response uh, work. Right, when when a cell is exposed to a particular drug, how does it respond? How does the gene expression changes as a response to that drug? And and it has learned from you know from different data that are coming to describe that response right and and so then when you are feeding you know some new genetic data from a drug you just screened into a new cell line and you've just measured the gene expression levels of that cell line then you can feed that into the into the particular suite of the AI engine for the drug response and then it will be able to tell you what the drug does Right, and what is the mode of action of the drug? What is the disease that it targets? Right, because it has actually, you know, learned from combining all of the gene expression and gene um, in, den- in general cell response data with disease data, with mode of actions for drug data, chemical data, and so on and so forth. And those are the analyses that you know are at the very far end of downstream and more sophisticated downstream analysis. If I am to give a prediction about the future here. The future of this whole sector is at that far end. Everything else, you know, the first stage of the of the sequencing that is done now by machines is becoming more and more automated, and big companies are taking care of that. The upstream analysis of trying to to uh, to understand to convert raw data to informative is becoming more and more standardized with time. Especially for human genetics, it's almost standard. And of course, when we go to other species beyond humans, it still needs work, but it will get there where we need to be focusing on our efforts and especially at Lifebit, we know that more than anyone is more at the far end of like, now how can we do integrated analysis where we can bring a lot of data in conjunction with, with genomic data to actually deliver actionable insights that do reasoning, right? Because if you look at, you know, when a system can tell you what the drug does, what, so what's the mode of action and what disease does it target, basically reasons. It, you know, it does the same job as as a group of you know, 20 drug discovery researchers that will do manually, right, to take the same decision and the same reasoning about what what do drugs do.
0: Absolutely. I think that was a
1: little bit of a long answer, but yeah, that, <laughs> hopefully no, it was explanatory it, enough. It's
0: great. And, and I think you're exactly right that um, there's a huge amount to be done in the interpretation side um, as we get better at gathering the right data, aggregating it in, in safe and effective ways, doing the upstream analysis that you mentioned before to go from raw data to something readable then then the magic really happens right we only we only do all of those things so we can find better treatments for diseases prevent disease before they happen you know and 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 do something that ultimately impacts people kind of to segue there i know that you all are involved in a uh, in a covid-19 related collaboration with genomics england i wonder if we could talk about that a little bit because this is one of the the most top of mind applications of genomics and artificial intelligence trying to understand why some people respond very severely and other people end up with mild or or asymptomatic cases and whether there's some hint in the data to potential treatments or um, you know whether it's antivirals or or vaccines or otherwise is that um is that something that you all are starting to to launch imminently
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, we have already been working with Genomics England. The news have just now hit the, the public, but we have already been working very closely for over a month right now uh, with a mission to launch the whole system at some point in July. Mid of July is, is where we are aiming. Uh, now, what is this all about? So as you most probably already have read from the already the pr release is being out there the the uk government is actually uh, funding a huge program to sequence 35000 individuals 20000 with uh, severe symptoms and 15 with mild symptoms of covid all of these data are coming from all of the hospitals across uk it's an incredible effort it's the largest and more significant effort right now on, on this planet, and I, I cannot but command the UK government for, for taking that stand. And and that project is officially run and, uh, and brought to life by Genomics England, and we started the collaboration with Genomics England because Genomics England was looking for an ideal technology partner and a platform that would be providing access and analysis over this data, right? Now, what are the data that we're talking about? As I said before, 35 30, 5,000 individuals, but we're not just talking about whole genomes here, we're talking about all of the clinical data, as well as potentially different phenotypic data that we're going to be getting from these individuals. Not all of these data are going to be made available at once, but uh, they are going to be coming there. And again, what are the typical analyses that the our our platform as as the new research environment of Genomics England is going to be enabling is exactly analysis around the severity trying to understand the severity of the disease uh especially digging into the genetic factors that can actually uh that are that can explain the severity and how it impacts different people um also understanding the differences between women and men most probably you've seen that you know uh, men are more susceptible to this and we're still uh, to understand why is that if it is environmental factors or if it is genetic factors, right? Potentially, maybe it's a combination of both, right? But even beyond that, I would say COVID, it's a good stepping stone for us to understand infectious diseases as a whole and why are some of the differences. It opens up a big chapter, right? That in the, in the past years, and if I am to make a parenthesis here, in the past years, the population, all of the population genomics effort has been focusing mainly around uh, cancer and rare diseases, and that is also what Genomics England 100,000 Genome Cohort is composed from. And right now, Genomics England and the UK government is opening a new chapter where it's bringing back the focus to infectious diseases, uh, and is, as I would say, you know, like it's, it's pioneering once more. Uh, and it's incredible uh, because genomics have pioneered, you know, the population genomics when it comes to cancer-rendered diseases, and now it's actually pioneered for infectious diseases. And bringing back the focus to to population health, which is very, very important. I think population health has been ignored in the past years. COVID is bringing that to the forefront. And, and what we are doing there, we are trying to help with all of the different analytics tools and data to to understand... As I said before, not just the severity of COVID or the differences between men and women, but also how infectious diseases work and how that impacts population health as a whole, right? And, and that's what is at stake here.
0: Amazing. So, so if I, I think I understand from the participants' perspective, if they join the Genomics England um, and genomic research project, which we, we spoke to the CEO of Genomics England and clinical lead, uh, Chris Wigley, and um, Richard Scott on. Uh, I think two episodes previous to this one. Uh, from the participants' perspective, when they join, they'll be agreeing to have their data analyzed in a in a secure way by any researchers worldwide that are interested in working on therapies related to COVID, assuming that they they get the permission of the um, of the study team. So, will they be able to then? Access that data through through the Lifebit platform. Is is it in addition to the Genomics England research environment, which already exists, and you'll be providing a, a another way to access that data? And do you also have access to other sources of data because the you know, the UK Biobank is doing a very large study? Um, and I think it's it, it would be amazing to be able to have. From a research perspective, all of this data in one place in a secure way, where people can analyze it without, um, you know, having to go to every single source individually.
1: Exactly, exactly, but that's exactly what we are enabling for, also the first time. So the the library pattern technology is is it's a federated technology as we as it's called, right? So federated technology, um, you know, in short terms, what does it mean uh, for for um, for our sector and our applications, is that data can be processed and analyzed in place, as we call it. So without moving the data, the computation comes to the data. And as such, you can actually combine data from different sources uh, and run joint analysis over these different data without necessarily moving the data. And that is very important for security. And also not beyond security, like moving data as you said before, is very, very big, right? So you are looking at very big time, uh, transfer times, and costs if you are trying to move this data, plus all of the security, regulation, compliance, uh, storage requirement even so, because, okay, I'm moving the data, but where I'm exactly, you know, like, you know, hosting 50 petabytes. And that's why also um, UK Biobank and Genomics England, because UK Biobank, in UK Biobank, you can actually download the data, right? As long as you become part, you know, you get accepted to do so. Um, you can't download them, but where do you put 50 petabytes, right? And, you know, how long do you need to wait to get that and how much money you are paying, right? Uh, so it's not just a matter of, of, of security and regulation. It's also a matter of, you know, the technicalities of it. When it comes to Genomics England, of course, that is the, the you know, the big change in, uh, that we are introducing. We're going to be having a platform, the new, um, uh, as we are called the research environment, uh, 2.0. Uh, or the COVID research environment uh, is going to start with the COVID research environment and then evolve to the research environment 2.0 is going to be running in parallel to the existing research environment. It's not going to be discontinued. Uh, the research environment one, the difference is going to be that this environment is going to be cloud based. It's going to be hosted over AWS. Again, all of that is in the PR release. but it's going to be on, on London, if you like cloud, right? Uh, so very localized uh, way of doing cloud, which is, Required for the security of the data, and what does that mean for our users? It that means that they can actually scale any type of analysis as much as they like. We can support any number of users because the idea of this is to be used by everyone in the world. I'm sure, Chris, if you had him here, I'm sure Chris was has gone in length through that, and you know that the mission is to enable anyone out there that wants to be doing research over COVID to do so, right? And not just COVID because Eventually we're going to be bringing also the data from uh, the the 100,000 genome cohort of the cancer and rare data. So anyone to be able to do any research over those. So scalability is something that's going to be enabled by cloud. Uh, the second big thing is collaboration. The platform has incredible, will be offering incredible collaborative functionalities. People will be able to create collaborative workspace, invite all of their Uh, collaborators and team and work in this collaborative environment. The third most important thing is flexibility. Uh, What do we mean by flexibility? The users is exactly, you know, which will be enabled by the federated technology, will be enabled, first of all, to bring any tool they like. Similarly, like you do in your smartphones, where you can go to, uh, you know, uh, to place or wherever else, and you can actually install any, or you can bring
0: to an app store.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, uh, they are going to be able to bring any tool that they would like into the platform and run it, uh, transparently. Uh, and it's going to be in a federated manner where actually private tools or private re- tools coming from private repositories, their codes are never being exposed into, into even, gen- even us, even us at LifeBit that have the platform cannot actually see, and no one else is going to be running in a federated manner. Uh, but then the most important thing, as you just said, they are going to be able to also bring their own data and mix and match publicly available data, their own private data with the, with the Genomics England data without actually any, any movement of data. And then the computation will be able to happen jointly over this data.
0: That's fascinating. So who are the primary users of the platform, would it be a a scientist at a pharmaceutical company that's trying to understand if their molecule can help? Is it researchers at, at academics, you know, universities, nonprofits, is it all the above? What's the, what is the mix of people that you all work with look like?
1: the way I like to think about it or the way we're thinking about it at Lifebit is we have three distinct use cases that we are serving right now and those three uh, distinct use cases correspond obviously to different stakeholders or different users. Uh, the first uh, big use case is drug discovery. The environment is trying to enable drug discovery. The biggest goal Hands down from everyone on this planet is to try to find vaccines and treatments as soon as possible. And not just for COVID, as I said before, even beyond COVID, right? For the next, you know, COVID that will happen in this world, to be ready for it, to know how to how to even like have ready, you know, potential data that could help us on that development, tools, methodologies, platforms, ways of working, right? And that's what we're establishing here. And that's why Genomics England is pioneering this, for the first time infectious diseases and once more for the universe, you know, how this should be actually happening. So drug discovery. And when it comes to drug discovery, the users is very simple. What users need to be doing is they need to be able to bring their own data, combine it with the data of, of the COVID, run joint analysis. Drug discovery also, they do have very specialized tools. So, you know, and we're talking now here about the big pharma, the big biotech companies, they will have specialized tools that they will also need to be bringing in the platform. So that's why it's very important for us to understand, enable them to do these things, right? Then uh, the second use case is diagnostics and diagnostics most in in the, in the biggest, um, I would say in a broader term of research, because we're going to be having clinicians coming to the platform, trying to understand uh, the differences, as you said, in severity, in the patients, the patient profiles, they will try to understand even like in terms of like, you know, symptoms. You know, how does this patient look like? And that will help for future uh, diagnosis. What is important to those users is much more, uh, those users, they do not normally have their own tools or their own data they would like to bring as a whole. Of course, there are exceptions into that. But what they do tend to have or they need is, quite a lot of publicly available data quite a lot of publicly available tools that they are used to using annotations from different datasets and they want to be pulling all of that very easily together in a way that is straightforward that they don't need to be doing that much of computation right and they are very much used to looking at data on on an individual basis so it's also very important for them to be able to have in in a singular view a lot of complex data presented in a way that's very readable so it's a big challenge for us to enable that and and the third use case is is research is pure research for the sake of understanding as i said before you know how can we uh for understanding how covid disease works how the the virus uh manifests uh, or how the disease manifests how the virus works within an individual how the the disease evolves right again for these users very similar to the previous use case they need the mix of both they need to be able like the drug discovery people they need to be able they will have their own specialized tool their own specialized data they need to be bringing that to the platform similarly to clinicians they will need to have very complex oversight you know very complex views of or simple views of very complex data, you know, in a, at a glance, so they can actually start developing hypotheses, which then they can actually test in, in, in a more sophisticated way, you know, by running you know, more, uh, you know, data science analysis or bioinformatics analysis, if you like. So those are the three use cases that we're currently serving.
0: Where in all of this does the the data itself actually sit? Can it be on a personal computer, on an Amazon Web Services cluster, Microsoft, Google, some server, an old company server somewhere? Does does it not matter to you all where the data sits and, and you somehow plug into it? Or does the data have to be on one of the, you know, big cloud providers like Amazon or, or Google or someone else?
1: That's a great question. So for... Um... Just again, for avoidance of any doubt here, the Genomics England data uh, they are hosted on London-based servers uh, uh, provided by AWS, but it's a it's a joint thing with Genomics England. So, and the, these data are are securely there. They are never going to be leaving that location, and they are accessible through the cloud, through the AWS cloud, through the platform. Right, you cannot access them barely through the cloud. You need to go through the platform through the AWS to get them. Uh, now, the user data, of course, they can be anywhere. Now, being anywhere does it mean that by being anywhere, is it accessible anywhere? Not really, or not at the same level of easy access. Uh, the best way is for the data, obviously, uh, to be on AWS S3 buckets because they then can be very easily linked into the platform and imported. They could be on a- any other cloud as well. We are going to be enabling that as well. Now, if they are somewhere on a local computer or a local storage, it's very difficult to access through Internet. And as such, they can again be brought into the platform. But in that case, you know, actually uh, transfer of the data has to happen. So physical upload of the data into the platform has to happen, right? Because it's impossible to be accessed in any other way. So um, can the data also be in some public location on the cloud and fetched like that? Not necessarily, uh, not necessarily through cloud. Yes, and that's another thing that we are enabling into the platform very easily to happen. Again, though, if the data is in someone's laptop uh, or in local storage, then they have to either be made available publicly on the internet, for example, in sequencer publicly available in public available repository like the CRA. Or um, sequence read archive, or in some server that is made publicly available, uh, or they have to be put in the cloud and ideally into an AWS S3 bucket. So the users will need to have an AWS account to, to do that. Otherwise, the other choice is of course going with traditional upload. You log in into the platform, you know, you can actually then bring data from your laptop.
0: That makes sense. So so what's what does the future look like for you all? Do you imagine a world where every individual has access to all of their genomic, medical, other information? Do you think some of it will still live in other parts of the healthcare ecosystem like it does today in the electronic health records and, and other places. And, and do you imagine that Lifebit will kind of connect all, wherever they live, all these pieces of data together and, and then enable you to build a kind of interpretation engine or, or brain that can make sense of, of all that data, or, or do you see it somehow differently?
1: That's exactly the plan. I mean, we're working with genomics again, we're working with other pharmaceutical and research uh, clients. And, I and... Everyone wants this world, right? Like the, the data by itself is can be very valuable, but all of the data put together can be infinitely valuable, right? So it's it's we.
0: Better, better when shared, right? Yeah,
1: better. It's a. I mean, the value grows exponentially I, when when data are being combined, uh, and there are even publications showing this. On particular, you know, when you run GWAS analysis, you know, on on a hundred times more data, or what happens, and so on, and so forth. Like, so we we've, we've shown that it's nothing that you know. We are coming here as life and we're saying, oh, you know, here are some news to everyone, right? Everyone knows it. It's more of a matter. How can we? make that a reality. Lightbit is, you know, it's not the only company, definitely among uh, the first companies and very few out there making this a reality right now. And and working with Genomics England is, is, is the biggest testament and, and proof that we can do this. Moving beyond that, of course, I think even Genomics England welcomes a world where we could potentially, for example, even working with UK Biobank, uh, we could actually unify this data. I don't see why, you know, UK Biobank. uh, We cannot work with UK Biobank. Put our platform there, and then we are actually creating a tunnel system, right? Where, where it's very easily, you have a federated system right now of platforms on both ends, where they can bothly users on both ends could actually, you know, benefit from the data without the data moving. I think across UK, we it's an excellent opportunity to do this. We don't need to go to the hospital levels. We can already stay at the biobank level in population genomics. Anyhow most of the medical records are already there. You know, at Life, we're ingesting and we're making available through the platform through excellent cohort browser and biobank data browser uh, functionalities, all of the, uh, you know, clinical record data coming from coming from both primary and secondary healthcare, right? And why I'm saying that not hospitals yet because hospitals do not yet have enough genomic data. And when they do, the the genomic data are being anyhow processed and, and managed somewhere differently, right? at most probably a biobank level, right? So it's better to start from there, make it happen there, make it work there. And then once that's ready, I think it's very easily replicable to the NHS. If, assuming, you know, I'm just taking UK as an example here, or well then through the NHS, you know, you can roll that out into the NHS. Anyhow, especially Genomics England is interconnected with the NHS, is interconnected, you know, with the genomic medicine system that is, Starting to come to life, right, as of 2019. So it's it's a very easy transition. But we need to start from somewhere. And I do believe that population genomics projects is where we need to be, and biobanks is where we need to be starting, and we need to be interconnecting those, and especially at the at the population level. And I think there there should be a directive from the government to do it. Because when government steps in and says, I because at the end of the day, when government steps in, just to finish my previous sentence, when government steps in, things move much, much faster. (laughs) And we can see that from the COVID effort, right? Uh, But also, it is government's responsibility and it's taxpayer money that have generated, that paid for the genomics England data, for the COVID data right now, and for the UK Biobank data. So, of course, you know, the government has a say and should have a say on a simple thing. It's like, we need to unite somehow this data. Because if we do, then we're going to be able to speed up research and discoveries at the level that we weren't, capable before, right? And Lifebit can do it. We are, you know, ready to go whenever, whenever we are, we are required to.
0: That's great. It's a really interesting perspective. I guess the ultimate aim, at least in the UK with, um, you know, with the healthcare system here is to deliver genomic medicine or better healthcare to, to everyone. This includes prevention, it includes diagnoses for rare disease and, and cancer. And ultimately this depends on having incredibly high quality Data and and systems to analyze the data to get those results accurately and and quickly and so I, I think you're right that it needs to you know it, it, we need to figure out a way to break these data silos and and it's not by moving them all into one place it's uh, it's it's by figuring out clever ways to connect them.
1: I think you know like we used to think in terms of like and that was a lot of like also first generation platforms and technologies that you know are still being sold into the market and you know much to my surprise with quite a big success still Uh, and all of those all of those all of that archetype technology was just like built on on the assumption that we can move data to where the technology and the compute and, and the platforms live and even to vendors which for me is just like it seems so weird I don't see a world where that can happen I just simply don't see a world where that can happen I think you know vendors technologies compute needs to move to where the data lives right And that's definitely a big challenge. Another big challenge, as you were saying, as we're moving more to the NHS and to the healthcare system, and that's what we are also seeing, and and we have really good experience in addressing it, is how do you actually transform your data, your clinical and uh, your phenotypic data? How do you ingest them into a system where it can be interconnected with genomic data? And now how can you use that clinical and phenotypic information in conjunction with genetic information to do one simple task. Just identify the subset of individuals for which you want to be looking closer, right? And even up until today, we're not very good at doing it. There aren't Almost any technologies out there, again to the best of my knowledge, that can do that, right? And it's a major thing. And even for lack like, that we do have the technology and we are doing it, it's not so straightforward, right? Because the data that we're coming, especially when we're coming from the clinical uh, clinical data, they normally come in many different formats. In you know, in um, a lot of these data or they are missing data, you know, you have or multiple entries for the data, multiple descriptions for the data, and, and similarly when so it's, it's almost like the contrary for the genetic data, because when the genetic data come to us, they are what we call like very orphan, <laughs> like very, you know, just like, uh, you know, get after obviously having converted them to a, you know, a, a readable format, you know, just a list of mutations basically or the, all of the variants for the individuals. And then that's it. There is no descriptions around it. There is nothing around it. Right. Uh, so it's, it's really interesting that on the one hand, we need to be working with the genetic data to bring annotations, bring descriptions, you know, make them usable, make them even more informative. And on the clinical side, we need to be working with like a tsunami of many different types of data and many different information and just like try to distill that into something, you know, that, you know, it's easily to navigate and understand. Right. So the challenge is quite, quite interesting, I would say
0: yeah absolutely. And I think but it's uh, it, it needs to be done, right. <laughs> Otherwise, um, as you say, these legacy solutions where the the data gets moved around, um, it's incredibly costly and, and time consuming and, and it and it just won't work forever, right? it's It's only a temporary solution. Well, listen thanks maria i think it's uh it, we've covered a lot of ground in the conversation. I just thought before we finish up, um, I'd give you a chance to shout out anything that would be helpful for you right now. I know you all are uh, are growing the company and hiring and probably also looking for other partners who who want to work with you all
1: Yes, absolutely so um as always, you know like we are more than happy to uh, to work with people that have some similar problems to Genomics England and, and beyond that and come in and see how our technology could be of use, obviously, and life with it as a team could add value. Uh, now, beyond that, indeed, we just closed our uh, Series A round, uh, so we have a lot of money in the bank uh, just sitting. Um, and we are hiring, we're expanding the team, we're looking for, you know, as Steve Jobs would say, the crazy ones to come on board, people that have, you know, that have pioneered open source technologies, that have worked with complex data, that have innovative ideas that, as I said, you know, the crazy ones, the people that will have a bring a new perspective that will not be afraid to turn the impossible to possible, right? Live in a world where, you know, everything is impossible and then, you know, somehow they are doing it. I think this is the type of people that we're looking and we're obviously hiring across all different positions by machine learning engineers, data scientists, uh, full stack engineers, cloud engineers. Um, but also on, on, also on the client side and the business side, we're looking for incredible people for you know, client support, um, business development as well. So, yeah
0: wonderful so if, if you are a, a self-described crazy one in uh, <laughs> genomics bioinformatics drug discovery uh, business then you can get in touch with maria i think on twitter you're at maria katsu uh, m-a-r-i-a c-h-a-t-z-o-u i'd just like to say thanks and um, thank you for taking the time and we'll catch up with you soon
1: thank you thank you patrick